Welcome everybody to our last conference for this virtual retreat on Heart is Where the Home Is. So let's begin as we normally do with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So far, we've been looking at the, the heart as a home and how we can find a home in the hearts of others and, of course, of Jesus and his mother and some of those obstacles that we need to be able to overcome that stop us from entering into the, the hearts of others or even allowing others to enter into our own hearts. And the more that we, we can do this, the more that we can allow ourselves to be loved, um, to be able to feel safe by overcoming shame and the different obstacles, and, and living in the heart of Christ and, and learning to receive Christ's love through others, the more that we can become more sure of our identity as beloved sons and daughters of whom the Father is truly proud. And so, thus, the more we can become a home for others, it's sort of like the, the, the house that is built on sand, then eventually, as it's transformed, becomes the house that is built on solid ground, and it expands its capacity so it can welcome so many more. And so our own hearts can thus become a place where others can be welcome, where they can encounter Christ and the love of the Father. And I guess it sort of creates this positive feedback loop. Uh, the more that we can receive others, the more confident we are able to be received by others, and it sort of feeds that way. But I want to talk today about this becoming or the transformation of our own hearts, of how we can learn and better live, allowing our hearts to be home for others. And before we sort of really get into that, I just want to talk about, uh, mention a few things. First of all, we mentioned earlier that as nice as it might be to understand the heart as a home, there can be a challenge, but the fact that there may not be a lot of people who are able to welcome us into their own hearts. But and it's we can feel isolated and lonely. However, we are always able, we're in control of this, to try and welcome others into our own. Even though there may no, be no heart or home for us to go into, we still have the capacity to receive others into our own hearts. Now, they may be small, or we think they're dirty, or we're not happy with the way they look, but we still have freedom and control to be able to invite others others in. That choice to say, hey, I'm going to put someone else first. I want to listen. I want to receive others instead of wanting to be listened to and to be received. Does it mean that we don't need that, but we could, we don't have to say, well, there's nobody here to love me and I feel unloved and I'm just terrible and sit around and do nothing. No, we need to be able to make that effort to reach out to other people and to welcome them in. Because the truth is that the command to love our neighbor is not an option. 
This is a, Jesus said, well, you can do it if you want. No, love of God is first, and then we are called to love our neighbor. Why? Because when we love our neighbor, it is Christ's Father loving them through us. And granted, as we've talked about, God could, could, could love someone directly and give them that experience, but more often than not, he's going to use others to communicate that love, to communicate that healing, to communicate that mercy. And so we need to be able to do that. Now, granted, maybe we do not love ourselves enough to be able to truly love others without some tinge of narcissism, but it is still important to reach out. Jesus didn't say, you know, love others when you love yourself perfectly. No, none of us ever will. But we've got to be able to reach out. And the more we do, the more we love others and welcome others, we're going to see the change in our own hearts very gradually. So basically, if I want to sort of sum this up. We have to become the heart that we need. Or let me phrase it this way. Become the heart that you need. Become the home that you need, or maybe become the heart or the home that you needed when you were young and you needed formation. Instead of talking about all the stuff that it's not happening and the things that are imperfect, become the heart that you need so that you can welcome others into that heart. Now, how do we do this? How do we learn to make our hearts open and welcome to others? How to make our hearts an adequate home? Now, we've talked a little bit about how to do it by our encountering the heart of Christ and learning to allow others to love us. But I, I want to talk about some other, other things. Now, I'm not going to give sort of a, a blueprint on how to do this, but just different reflections of what I think our own heart should look like and maybe some practical ways of how to be able to achieve it. So the first and, and probably the most important thing in having our heart become a home, the home that we would need or would have needed, is our heart must be a safe and secure place. A home, this is essential. A house becomes a home, yes, when you feel welcomed, but when in that home you feel safe, you feel secure from the the darkness and the forces of chaos that lay on the outside. You have got to have some modicum of security for it truly to be a home. And so, yeah, fine, I'm not going to enter into a home if I don't feel welcomed. But even if I do feel welcome, I'm not going to enter a home if I don't trust if I don't think that that place is going to be safe, you can invite me to your home, but if I think there's a bear in there that might attack me, I'm not going to go in. So there has got to be this, this sense of trust that it's going to be okay, that I'm not going to be hurt, that I'm not going to be betrayed, that I'm going to be listened to, that I'm going to be supported. And this really is so important, parents, with your children, specifically young children. Um, if you want your heart to be a home for them, they've got to be able to trust you and trust you from a very, very young age. And I tell parents this all the time, and they've got to start building that bond of trust that the child trusts that when they fail, when they sin, when they are confused, that you're not going to yell at them, you're not going to judge them, you're not going to necessarily outright punish them, 
but you are going to listen and act in accord. That you're not going to judge and not going to moralize, particularly with young people today. Um, you know, you hear all the stuff about don't, not, don't judge. And of course, yes, we have got to make judgment calls. But if they feel for their sins or their desires, particularly if there tends to be shame surrounding them, then you're going to look down on them or look at them differently or start moralizing or judging them, they're not going to come to you. And so you've got to be able to establish that trust that when they do come and say, hey, I've fallen in this area of sexuality or I'm having these desires, even though in your mind you know, hey, this is not going to lead to happiness. This is not going to be morally acceptable to not come off as judge, but to be able to love them and to listen to them. And then gradually you'll find you should be able to, I'm not necessarily saying love them out of it, but to create that space of safety where they are willing to talk to you, they're willing to be vulnerable, where they're not going to be hurt. And then you're going to be able to apply the medicine. Now, a lot of the times we want to just take a hammer and, and bring down the walls and to destroy whatever that's hurting them. But sometimes it's going to have to be more like erosion, uh, that love very, very gradually tearing down the walls or opening their hearts to a true transformation. Because the truth is also that quite often the thing that someone might be struggling with that's causing them shame is a fruit of a much deeper pain, the roots that lie much deeper. And that's what you really have to get to, uh, showing a respect for the person and not defining them by their actions, by their sins, by their own ideologies. And so that's where the person has to be able to be safe, to sort of be vulnerable, to come to you with their problems. But not just safe, but also free. Because when you feel safe, when you feel secure, you're also going to be free. Is that, yeah, the father and the prodigal son knew that younger son was going to go make some bad mistakes and the child would have been safe in the house. But he didn't force that kid to be there. He let the kid go. And sometimes that's what we've got to learn to do. That We love our children. We love those who are given to us. Um, maybe our spiritual children or our friends. And we know the decisions they're going to make in leaving the safety of the home is, are not going to be good ones. But we've got to realize that sometimes the father who loves the child allows the child to go. Never restricting the freedom. Because if you do and you force them into the house, they are going to rebel one day and there's going to be a lack of trust. So they, you can guide them, you can give them advice, but particularly as they get older, I'm not talking about someone who's six years old or seven years old, um, that they've got to be able to feel free in order to grow in that freedom. So on the positive side, as I've already mentioned, you know, the true exercise of freedom in childhood is the ability to play. The child feels safe, they feel secure. So it's in the heart that someone who is given to us, who lives in or abides in that home of our heart, who trusts us, has got to have this freedom to be able to rejoice, to be able to play, and not feel like they're constantly being monitored or judged. This is true for everyone, but it's specifically true for victims of abuse and sexual trauma. There's got to be that sense of security, got to be that sense of safety, 
uh, and the sense where they are free and vulnerable because it's so, so difficult because of what that, 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 that vulnerability of coming into a heart, coming to in a home and exposing um, themselves to uh, potential harm. And they've got to be able to sense trust, that there, there's trust and freedom there. So this sort of points to another very important aspect, which we already talked about, is the importance of our own hearts as homes to have the purity of heart. And we've got to be striving for that purity. We have to have achieved a certain degree of purity. If we're feeling shame for who we are, um, then we're not going to be able to have the doors truly open for people to come into our hearts. And there's so many people out there with shame who have made bad decisions, who have been the victims of abuse or different sorts of trauma, who, who need to experience being loved in a pure way, where they're not objectified, where they're not used. They, they, they can hear about it, but they need to experience it. I say this often, one of the reasons that it's such a struggle for people today to be pure and to love purely is because they've never experienced being loved in a pure way. Yeah, pure when it comes to sex and sexuality, but more importantly, when it simply comes to unconditional love, where I love you for who you are, not um, because you do this or you give this to me <clears throat> or you are you engage in some sort of exchange of goods, but I simply love you for who you are. <clears throat> it's unconditional, even if I know that you've done bad things. And to be able to say, yeah, I know you've done these things. I know you feel the shame, but it doesn't matter. There's nothing you could ever do that would make me abandon you. And there's got to be this experience where they are seen, where they are respected. This word respect becomes so important. I preached about it a few months back that uh, in the 90s, there was a psychologist who worked in the prison system with violent criminals. And he, he did these interviews and he saw that the, the thing that all of them shared in common, why they did what they did is because they wanted to be respected. Well, the root word of to respect means to be seen like a spectacle, spectacles. They wanted to be seen again, respectare, to be really seen for who they are, to be noticed, to be loved, and not just seen as a nuisance or an object. To be seen again means to be loved. And to be able to see someone, you've got to have that purity of vision. Your eyes have to be clear. that cannot be covered over in order to really see and love the other person. Uh, Dr. Bob Schutz, who many of you may know, who wrote the book Be Healed and has the John Paul II Healing Institute. He's got this little phrase, which I think is so impure, uh, important. And it's three words sort of lined together. Security, maturity, purity. So if we're going to be pure and going to be able to love in a pure way and have pure hearts, we've got to be mature. And the maturity of being able to control ourselves, to be able to, to seek what is right instead of just what feels pleasurable and what we want when we want. There's got to be ability to give of yourself. But the basis of that has got to be security. We've got to be secure in who we are and our identity and God's love for us. And so that you can flip it, uh, the person who is insecure will often be immature, 
seeking their own needs and desires above others. And thus, as a result, it leads to impurity. And so we need secure people to be able to be pure people. We need to be secure if we're going to have that purity of heart. I think this is especially true uh, when it comes to something that's being hotly debated in the church today is that reality in the gift of celibacy, the renunciation of the good of marriage for the sake of the kingdom. It's not just about a negative renunciation, but it's about a positive choice and a way to love others purely as Christ loved, to be able to, and I think in a real way, participate in that pure love of Jesus and Mary in a very unique way that when you love people like that, isn't perfect as we might be, it can lead to a deeper transformation of heart. Not that, not that all love is not good and a participation in Christ's love, but I, I think celibate love, particularly celibate love that is chosen and willed and given uh, from priest and religious and consecrated, has a unique power to change and, and make other people feel safe and welcome, uh, to make their hearts able to be transformed in the love of Christ. But in all of this, in, in welcoming others and making them feel safe and secure and, and, and loving them purely and having that clean heart, it implies a certain vulnerability in our part. Yeah, and there's a vulnerability of entering into the heart of another where, hey, we may be hurt. And so as a result of that fear, we step back. But if I'm going to allow someone in, it means that I am vulnerable. By the father of the prodigal son allowing that son to come back not only to his own embrace, but into his house, it means that that son could turn on him, could betray him, could still hurt him. But the father chose to, to, to still open him, open his arms, and to receive him. Is that in loving others and letting them into our hearts means that there's going to be a certain amount of vulnerability. We are setting ourselves up to be hurt, even if we know the person who, who comes into our heart is someone who's been given to us, someone who's healthy, someone who loves us, and we love back. But in order to be able to get someone to trust and to be able to feel at home and be able to rest in our hearts, it doesn't mean that we need to just expose ourselves totally and tell, tell them all about ourselves we have to be willing to be exposed a little bit, to be seen a little bit, to reveal ourselves a little bit so that they in turn can reveal themselves. Not only I mean, our desires or who we are, but sometimes even our wounds. And of course, prudence is going to dictate when and how we reveal these things. But I, I think of John chapter 20, verse 20, whenever Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection because we're in the Easter season, this is appropriate. What does Jesus do? He shows them his wounds. And so we, in a certain sense, to our own friends, to those people who are given to us, we need to be willing to show our own wounds, to show, yeah, that, that we have been hurt, that we're not perfect, but that, hey, look, there has been some healing, yet we still carry the scars. Because this does, it shows that, that we're not perfect. It builds trust. It helps others feel welcome when they can see, hey, yeah, you maybe struggle with the same thing I do. You're not perfect. Just think of walking into a house where everything is perfectly in place and there's 
and everything is is ideal. It can be kind of weird. Like, this is not right. This looks like a Hollywood set or something from The Truman Show. No, we want to see things a little disheveled, not exactly perfect, um, so that we can feel more at home. Hey, this is good. And again, meaning here that in our own parts, we cannot be afraid to show others' weakness. We want to have a pure heart. We want to have a place that is able to, to, to be able to be a place of trust. But we can't be afraid to be weak and imperfect ourselves and to ask for forgiveness if need be. Now, in all of this, again, I can't tell everybody everything how to do this. In a certain sense, I'm just offering my disparate reflections. Um, but the next point is one that actually came from a friend of mine I was talking to about this, and she has children, and she was telling me about a children's book that she had read to her children a couple of years ago by an author named Corey Dorfield, and the book is called The Rabbit Listened. You can Maybe you have a copy of it if you're parents, or you can go on YouTube and see people read it. It's about this kid, I think the kid's name is Taylor, who was building this tower of blocks and it fell apart. He was upset. And so like the, the little chicken comes to him and says, hey, let's talk. But the kid doesn't want to talk. So the chicken leaves. And the bear comes and says, let's be angry together and scream. The kid doesn't want to do that. And the elephant comes and says, let's try to remember what, what the tower was like. But the kid doesn't want to do that. And then a, a series of other animals come until finally the rabbit comes. And the rabbit just gets close to him and just stays and listens. And the child is able to go through his series of emotions and how he felt. And the rabbit just sat there and listened and never left and never left. And so when we allow people into our own homes, we've got to be able to be like that rabbit. We, we don't need to necessarily fix people's problems. We don't need to be able to give them good advice all of the time. Sometimes people just want us to be able to listen, to be able to receive them, to be able to be near them. And sometimes people don't even need to be listened to. They just need us to be there in their pain. There's a scene from one of the Winnie the Pooh books whenever Winnie the Pooh is having a terrible day and Piglet comes and sits next to Pooh and says, Pooh, do you want to talk? And Pooh's like, I don't want to talk. I just just want you to be there. And so I just need someone near me. And so Pooh just sits there and is sort of with Piglet. It's, it's a being with, with Pooh. Piglet's a being, but a being with the other person. The very presence of Piglet ends up being a place of security for Pooh. And so... It's quite often, if we love others and let them into our hearts as homes, we need to be able to learn to just be with people. Because just in our own selves, sometimes, yeah, we need people to listen to us, but sometimes we just need people to be with us, um, to be silent with us, uh, to have that gift of there's a person who doesn't need anything from me, particularly, you know, if you've gone all your day where people are needing things from you, you need to be not needed to be able to be, come home and just rest. I think of Jesus after going out all day and people needing things from him to go back to Bethany 
where Mary and Martha probably said, Jesus, I'm not even going to talk to you. You know, there was no TV for Jesus to watch, but I'm going to let you sit on the couch. I'm going to let you chill out. I'm going to bring you something to drink. And hey, we're just going to be with you, like Mary sitting at his feet. And yeah, it's hard for us to be silent with ourselves. Um, so it's going to be really hard to be silent with other people, but we need to be willing to move towards that, to embrace that challenge of learning to let people into our homes and to just be with them, that great gift of silence. Because it is the same way for us that we talked about in prayer, learning to just be with Jesus, um, to encounter him in prayer, and to allow others in coming into our own hearts and homes to just find Jesus there and to be able to rest with him. And so, yeah, we can have our hearts perfectly arranged and suited for other people, and the doors are open and the welcome sign is out, but there's still going to be a lot of people who may not want to enter. Why? Because they don't want to be a bother or a burden to you or to others. And I hear this all of the time. Yes, I would have come to you, Father, but I didn't want to bother you. You're so busy. Why? No, no, no. You're not a bother at all. And it's a distinction that I've learned where people say, yeah, Father, I know that God and others love me or my parents love me because they're supposed to, but I feel like they don't like me, that they're annoyed by me, that, that I was a burden to them or I am a burden to them. And this maybe it transfers to other people. Hey, yeah, I understand that. But we've got to be able to communicate to other people that, yeah, I do love you, but I also like you, that you're not a bother. And I think the more that we can intuit that people think they're a bother to us, that they don't want to ask for something, they don't want to come into the house and to just rest, we've got to let them know, hey, you're not a bother, even if you repeat it a hundred times. But more than that, with just words, they've got to experience it. The delight that you have in them, in their presence, in their being with you, that the, 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 the smile on your face, uh, there was an article I read before Easter about when, when, other, when, when people see us and when we see them, do we smile? Does our face light up? Hey, it's really great to see you. Come on in. It's going to be our body language and our deeper attitude of delighting in the other person that knows that they can come in and that they're able to be able to stay. Now, granted, it's not easy. We don't necessarily delight naturally in everyone, um, but we can't judge our ability to love or to welcome others according to the people that are the most difficult to love. Because it's true, there are certain people that are difficult to love because of their own brokenness, because of their own stubbornness. Um, and so maybe we need to practice by welcoming and delighting in the people that are easy for us to build up our confidence, then to be able to show that love for others who are more difficult. But the more we can delight in people and they can experience that, that we're not a burden to them, the more they're going to have confidence in themselves. Or if we feel like we're a burden to others, the more that we are welcomed by others, that we are going to realize that we are truly loved and liked. So, you know, I want to be able to wrap this up to keep to our, our time frame. So much more we could have said uh, during this talk and during the course of this retreat. But if we are going to understand our hearts as homes for others, our others' hearts as homes for ourselves, we've got to realize it's something that I think I maybe mentioned earlier in this retreat, something that C.S. Lewis, I believe, talked about, that our hearts 
are ultimately not so much homes, but inns, I-N-N-S. They're, they're hotels. They're places that you can't stay forever. So yeah, we can welcome a person into our hearts, but the true home is heaven, as we've talked about. It's the Father's house, and Christ's heart is the gateway into that because we're all pilgrims. We're all journeying. And so, yes, the Lord does gives us, give us other hearts, places where we can rest and, and that are homes, but on our ultimate journey home. And so whatever sort of peace or rest or love that experience of being welcomed that someone might experience in our hearts or we may experience in the heart of another person is a taste or a foreshadowing of what we will and hope to experience in the kingdom of heaven. So we can't just say, I'm not leaving, or we can't grasp at the heart of others or grasp at that experience and saying, I don't want to leave, or I don't want this other person to leave. And so often we can say, no, don't leave, stay in my house, stay in my home. This is clinging, and this is not healthy because we take our eyes off of the prize. And so it sort of brings us to that passage, which we have alluded to in talking about Mary Magdalene on Easter morning, when she wants to cling on to the risen Christ. And Jesus says, do not cling to me, no limitangere, because I have not yet ascended to my father. I have not yet ascended to my father. And so there are a number of different ways we can interpret this. One showing that Christ is still going to give us his own Eucharistic presence, um, give us the gift of the Spirit, where he still will be with us. We don't want to cling to him in the form he's now in that resurrected body, because his resurrected body has to go to heaven. But it also says, hey, do not cling to things on this earth. That We know that our true home, the true resurrected heart of Jesus, his sacred heart pierced, is in heaven already is already in the Father's house, and that as much as we love others, that we want to be in their homes, we're all pilgrims together. We're all on the same way, and we all have that same goal. And so no matter how difficult things are, how many dark things are, we can find support and love in each other, but we are all on this together, pilgrims on the way to our true home, which is the heart of the Father. So I really want to thank everybody this Easter season, this very strange quarantine Easter season, for joining us here, joining me in these reflections. And I want to be able to close with the final blessing, but to be able to close with one other thing that I do um, every time I give a retreat with the sisters. I mean, really, I've been knowing the sisters now for over 20 years, and it is one of the greatest gifts of my own priesthood to be able to know the sisters and to be invited back every year to give retreats and to be able to be invited to do this virtual retreat during Easter time. I love the sisters so much that I've actually put them in my will because I know what a home they have been for me, um, not only in, in the retreat house and being able to go there and stay um, during the summer, not only to give retreats, but also to be able to make retreats myself, but also in getting to know the sisters and their love for me, that in their, their hearts, which so reflect the sacred heart of Jesus, I do find and experience 
the love of Christ and of his heavenly mother. And so because of that, I'm so grateful and so thankful. And this is something which I guess could have been another talk. When we experience that love, when we come to know the heart of another as a home, we have this great gratitude that we need to express to others who love us, to thank them for it. And we need to be able to express this to the sisters, the sisters who give us so much and who give us the opportunity, uh, thinking outside of the box and proposing these virtual retreats and real retreats. I know because of the times that we're experiencing, a lot of us are going through some difficult times. Um, many people may have lost jobs and maybe came to this retreat in order to find some hope or consolation. And really, I hope that you did. But let's really search our own hearts and pray to be able to give back to the sisters because they're struggling too. They're not able to have retreats. They're not able to do a lot of the things they normally do. And granted, they trust and they're still loving, but they still depend on our generosity. And so sister is going to provide somehow a link where you can give online. I really want to encourage everyone who listens to the retreat, everyone who's thankful to this, to go online and to make a gift. If you can only give $2, give $2. But to be able to give generously in accord to what you think you've received, and I want to encourage not just a one-time gift, but to become a monthly giver. Uh, so the sisters can know, like, I know that this amount of money is going to come in every month, and to be able to sustain a budget. So imagine if everybody was listening, I don't know, 500 people, if they were to commit to $5 a month, that's one vanilla latte a month, and if everyone did that, imagine the amount of money that they would get each month that they could rely upon for their own formation, for providing retreats. Please, please, please search your hearts and really reach out um, and to be able to be give generously to the sisters and to be able to give to their great ministry. So know my prayers for you, even though I don't know who you are, but I do ask you to pray for me, uh, Father Bryce Sibley, and my ministry to the college students over at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. What is, what is college going to look like uh, next year um, with social distancing and these things? Please pray for us, and I encourage you to look us up. Look me up. We're Raging Cajun Catholics on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, and on our website, RagingCajunCatholics.org. And you can watch virtual masses there. You can see the ministry we do. Uh, who knows? Maybe even the Lord will want you to support us and what we do. So thank you for joining us. Have a great Easter, and I will leave you with this virtual, sorry, real blessing. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless and have a happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is truly risen. God bless.